Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. Bread of Life is a program of the International Disciple-Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and its local mission fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. If you go to our website, breadoflifeboise.org, you'll find links to our radio archives and also those that will take you to inform you more about our overseas ministry. Your support of this broadcast helps us carry this work forward. Now, we turn to God's Word in 2 Kings chapter 3. It's a story of two men who have turned out just like their fathers. Jehoram went on in the wickedness of his father Ahab, but Elisha, as we will see, went on in the righteousness of his spiritual father Elijah. When you confess your sins and depart from them, God can break the cycle of generational failure and establish a new cycle of righteousness. It's a pattern of obedience through His power. It's the pattern of finding that sin comes in my life, but in His presence He reveals it, and I confess it, and He washes it all away. And I can be right before Him, and I continue walking with Him, and I learn to have honest, open conversations with Him. In such a way... A proverb begins to develop in my life. A proverb of righteousness that goes on and impacts my life but goes on to my children as well. So Proverbs 14, 26 gives a promise for this kind of life. It says, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children it will be a refuge. Walking with the Lord Jesus and abiding with Him provides a standard and a testimony where your children know where they may abide and find themselves protected and kept and watched over. As a young man, I remember going to Boise State University. I didn't have a car for a certain period of time, so I had to walk to the university from where my parents lived, and I began to develop a habitual prayer. I was learning and discovering things that I enjoyed and I wanted to learn, but there was also a lot of information that was being passed on to me that I could tell was subversive to the values that I had learned. And so what I'd pray as I walked along the way was, Jesus, I want to enter into you right now as I go to this campus. I want you to be my high tower. I want you to be my fortress. I want to stand behind the walls of your integrity and your truth and protect me. And from that place, give me a vantage point to recognize those things that are good and helpful for my life, but also preserve me from those thoughts and those ideas that would turn me away from you in the place of safety. I was learning at that time to go up into the citadel, into the fortress of God. Where did I learn that? Because it was evident in my parents' life. They had feared the Lord and they found their rest and their trust in Him and I was learning that the wise way to enter the world was to find my rest and my trust and my protection in Him as well. And Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children it will be a refuge. And here's an example of this. Just as Jehoram had carried on the behavior of Ahab, Elisha carries on the example that was found in Elijah. Elisha is described here as one who poured his water in the hands of Elijah. That is, they served Elijah, but it was not a servile service. It was an expression of honor and love. Elijah was like a father to Elisha. And so, in fact, when when Elijah is departed and taken away from this world, Elisha's first words are, my father, my father. By the way, when we met Elijah, we we met him in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. And there we discovered some things at the very beginning of our study of the life of Elijah. And what we said was he lived with a consciousness of God's presence above everything else. Second thing we said that he was more impressed by God's presence than the power and position of people that he stood before. 
And as a result, third, he was able to speak truth, God's truth, to people in power boldly and with great courage. When he stands before Ahab to confront Ahab, we're, we're told the opening line, the first words that we hear Elijah speaking is, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except by my word. And then right after it says the word of the Lord came to him. God put his word in his mouth and God put his word in his heart because he knew that he had a heart to listen and obey him and that he was an individual who was more conscious and more focused on God's presence in his life and more impressed by the presence of God whom he lived before than all the different power and influence of the people around him. Now listen to Elisha. Elisha now is coming before King Jehoram. This seems to be the first time that he appears before a king in Israel. And he's in the position that Elijah was so many years before. And here's what Elisha says to King Jehoram. First, it's recognized in verse 12 of the passage we're reading in 2 Kings chapter 3. It's recognized that the word of the Lord is with him, just like it was with Elijah. And then in verses 13 and 14, we read this. Elisha comes to Jehoram, the son of Ahab, the same king that Ahab, whom Elijah had addressed in this way. And now Elisha says to his son Jehoram, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Do you, see, do you think he's afraid or intimidated by Jehoram in any way? As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I'd not look at you nor I'd see you. What do we see here? He's conscious of God's presence. He's more impressed with God's presence than the power and position of the king. And as a result, he's able to speak truth of God boldly to those in power. Like father, like son. Like father, like son. That's the comfort we have. You can encourage yourself that though your sins may impact your children, so may the righteousness that Jesus Christ gives you and grows in you as you yield to him. Produced by God's grace, a harvest of righteousness in the lives of those that you touch and you live before. Paul reveals this power of influence. He, like Elijah, had no wife, but God had given him many spiritual sons and daughters by reason of the influence of his righteousness. And he wants to see those sons and daughters flourish by following the example that he's given them. And so he writes to the people in Corinth. He tells them he wants to see them abound in an example that he provided for them. And he says that he's sending to them a son, one who's following that example to teach them. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. Just listen to this as a principle of how God can produce an ability for you to proclaim the same things to others in a sense. The influence of righteousness that can rise from your life. Paul writes, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. And that is why I sent to you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Faithful in what way? Faithful in following his example. To remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church, in every church. There's an influence that God has for us. And God works through our lives. And just as sin might be replicated in our lives, into the lives of those that we influence, so wonderfully and powerfully may righteousness. Here's the fourth thing. It's simply this. When we give ourselves to establish a standard in a life of righteousness before our children and those that God gives us to influence, the memory of that influence can 
open them up to hear and receive God's word long after we're gone. You might not see them at the place where you want to see them right now. But if God, by his grace, has enabled you to live a life of righteousness before your children, before family members, or for individuals you've prayed for for a long time, your influence can continue to go on, and God can speak to them in powerful ways. Elisha says to them, I think to some extent he's harassed in his spirit because he's agitated by these three audacious kings. I'm looking forward to speaking about this a little bit more with you. And so before these kings and before the foolhardy nature and their proud and arrogant plan and strategies, he says, bring me a musician. And then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him and he heard God's promise and God's word and God spoke to him and he was able then to speak for God. And I simply want to say this, that there's, there's something evocative about music. Here before these powerful men, Elisha would retreat into the presence of God so it calls upon music to be played. And by the way, these musicians would have been those individuals who basically played songs by which the psalms were taught and the songs of faith were taught to the, the people of Israel. 150 psalms, maybe not all of them had written at this time, but there were many other psalms as well. Songs that were sung by Moses and songs that were sung by Miriam and songs that were sung by Deborah and Barak and they learned those songs, and David himself, and they were passed on. And Here before these powerful men, Elisha wants to hear these songs being played, and the music would have taken him back to the days when maybe he learned these songs of faith from his parents, maybe. But most certainly, he had learned these songs from Elijah, and wrapped in those songs of faith, of faith as he listened to them were the faces and the voices of the righteous who had taught him to sing those songs before God. And as he was drawn back upon the testimony and the witness that had been passed on to him, God spoke to him. He was drawing in an experience, an expression. You know, the music of that time is not like the music of our days. Our songs are usually about five years old, and if it's any older than that, we think of them as kind of outdated as a general rule. But in those days, they sang the song from generation to generation to generation to generation. And they were passed on from one parent to the child to the parent to the child and from one generation to the next generation. And the song represented the long-storied expressions of God's presence and God's work among God's people. By the way, do you know when it's time to jump back in your bed and pretend that you're asleep? It's when your mother stops playing the piano and singing her hymns. Right? <laughs> Prior to that, you can get up and you can play with your toys on the floor. You can do all kinds of things. But when the piano stops playing and the music, st when she stops singing, quick, get in bed. And pretend, you know, pretend you're asleep. And, uh, you don't have to do that later on in life. You don't have to use that strategy anymore. But, but you never forget the song that was played. You never forget the tune that was played at that piano and the hymns that were sung there and the words that you learned. And when you hear them, they take you back to these great, profound truths, the songs that you receive from the righteous. This passage gives us a warning here, but it also provides us with a promise of the impact that God's grace can bear out from our lives on the lives of others. And the lesson for us is to confess our sins and break off from them. 
to come under the blood of Jesus Christ that washes us and cleanses us and makes us whole. To claim his as our righteousness and walk in his presence and live out that righteousness and then claim the promise that righteousness will not only impact our lives, but the lives of those who follow after us. Like father, like son. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you and praise you for history past. For those who taught us to pray and those who taught us simple verses like God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I thank you for those who taught us songs, children's songs to sing like You cannot hide from God. His eye is fixed on you. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you cannot hide from God. I thank you to God for those who taught us that Jesus Christ loved us, would wash us and cleanse us and make us whole in you. I praise you for the testimony and witness not only in word but in life and deed of those who were determined to break off with the sins of their past and to establish a new cycle unlike that which they inherited from their parents. I bless you for the children in our church that are being raised by parents like that. Thanks for joining us today at The Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism. To learn about our work around the world, go to traincpe.org. It's also a ministry of our mission fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work locally, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.